Music. We hear it almost every day. It's around us constantly in a bunch of different formats and genres. For some people, they simply can't live without it. It's a career path that some people grow up dreaming of entering. I can certainly say that I had a period circa grade 7 where I thought I was going to be a rock star in cello venues around the world. Uh, we won't get into that, but it didn't happen. But this all brings us to today's show. Changing career paths while you're in school is nothing new. I think the majority of us have considered it at least once after a rough test or exam. I know I certainly have. In our last episode, we talked to Erica Lenti, who is one of my old classmates at Ryerson. Her passion for magazines led her to a current editor role at this magazine. This week's guest is another former journalism classmate of mine. But after spending five years in J school and a potential job in politics on the horizon, he took a hard left turn on his career. Stay with us. Cormac McGee is 24 years old and works for Smash Mouth Entertainment here in Toronto. He puts on hip-hop shows, helps manage his four artists, and does some DJing as well. Did I mention that he also teaches at Ryerson and helps with a music incubator at the school as well? Cormac and I were both involved with student politics to a certain extent at Ryerson. He furthered that by going into the Ryerson Students' Union in his last year and also sitting on the university's Board of Governors. But he gave all that up to pursue music. Before we start the show, I want to give you an idea of what Cormac looks like. I feel as though it's sort of important to the show. He's a pretty scrawny Irish guy, five foot ten with blonde hair. He'll say six feet. Probably not what you picture a stereotypical DJ to look like. In the next 25 or so minutes, we'll find out how he went from a journalism student to helping manage music artists. This is the Under the Hill podcast with Ryan McKenna. Your day job versus your night job. Are you able to explain what the, the difference is be, between the two? Because we're not currently, we're yeah. not DJing right now. Yeah, okay. So I guess the main difference I would see is that in my day job, I sit and at a computer and I am dressed like... I don't know. What would you call this? Like classic, You're dressed like a Canadian. Dressed Fla- like a Canadian. A flannel shirt like, on. Yeah, like a classic like, startup bro, I guess. <laughs> and at night, I stand behind my computer with massive speakers around me. And if I'm feeling really hyped, my shirt will be off. And I'll be really sweaty. There'll be hip-hop music blazing. And I'll be... You know, maybe pouring a beer on someone if it's getting really rowdy. That's so. That's the difference. There's no. I'm not pouring beer on anyone in this office. And now, if, if to add to that, maybe the so one of the rappers that I DJ with, he's about six four, two fifteen, massive dreadlocks, and so we make a good duo. At our last show, actually, you know, in between songs, like he'll talk to people his name's dylan and he'll be like yeah like how's everyone feeling he turned to me he's like how are you feeling cormac and i i don't even remember what i said i think i was like i'm excellent or something and he like turned to the crowd he's like this guy just said he's excellent the whitest boy in the room and (laughs) And so that's a good little dichotomy i think how is that relationship with you and and dylan how did that materialize and and how is it currently 
it's great. We're really close right now. Um, I, there's nothing I love more than performing with him. Um, it's a ton of fun. Um, it started because I started working on his... I started working with his manager as an intern about a year ago. Um, and then after a few months of interning, I, start, I started actually working for the company um, full-time. And at one point, Dylan was going to do... He was opening for a rapper named Puya in Toronto, Ottawa, and Montreal. And there were sold-out shows across the cities, which was sick. Um, but then him and his DJ had a bit of a falling out, and so he needed a DJ. And it was really last minute, and he knew I DJed, and then he just on a whim just asked me and trusted me and was like could you do this for me and so the first time we performed it was in front of like 500 people at the mod club and it was the first time we were ever on stage together and it went really well except at one point we were both turning up so hard that we jumped into each other by mistake <laughs> but it went really well yeah then we did went to the ottawa show and we've done countless shows since then and we just came back from New York, did a show there together, and it's just been, it's been incredible. Like, to go from, I remember the first time I met him, and it, he was, like, super intimidating. He's a big dude, and he's a rapper, right? And he's got thousands of fans, and now to be on stage with him is pretty incredible. So how did you get into to DJing? Um, so I graduated from school last, so May 2016, and... I was actually kind of set up to go into politics and I was looking actually at a um, communications job in Ottawa with the government and I was kind of like, okay, fuck this. I can't do this. Um, I can't move to Ottawa and go be a bureaucrat. And so I took a month and I was like, what am I, what do I feel like doing? And I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to learn how to DJ. So now's the time when I'm not doing anything. So I went on Kijiji, I bought some equipment, and I spent the summer teaching myself how to DJ and off, off YouTube. I had a friend who did it. He helped me a little bit. And then, yeah, I did my first live performance in August of that year and kind of just kept going. I, like, I'm not anywhere really special yet, but it's, it's building, which is nice. It's a little bit of a far cry from journalism, what you're currently doing now, but... Regardless, it's it's still a path that you feel as though you're actually making for yourself. Yeah, totally. This is, I know I'm 100% happier doing this than I would be sitting in a newsroom right now. So music's always been a part of your, your life. Um, was there a turning point for you to say, you know what, journalism, really not my avenue? Because you mentioned there was politics and uh, or a potential opportunity in politics as well mm -hmm. i mean i don't remember if there was ever like a moment where it was like okay this isn't for me but i remember like as as you know you were the same like we got involved with a lot of different stuff at ryerson and i remember i used to read the school papers about and they'd be talking about projects i was doing or like things whatever like projects I was doing or I was involved in or whatever and they would never get they would always get just half the story and I was like okay this frustrates me so much that these people like don't like it's like this inability to actually understand really what's going on um 
how do I say this? I guess to simplify it, I kind of got tired of like writing about people doing cool things. And I was like, I want to be doing cool things. And then when I kind of started doing that, or thought I started doing that, I realized like being a journalist is really like, as at least to me was like really just kind of, you're getting snapshots of things. And I'm someone who really wants to like build something up into and know it intimately if that makes sense yeah no absolutely and and i i think you made an interesting point there where as journalists it's not always you're the one doing the cool thing it's mostly you're telling the story Mm -hmm. so the fact that you wanted to be one of those people instead of the person reporting it i I can totally see that for sure i guess that points to my vanity a bit (laughs) Hey, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's, um, I think you've always proven, at least from my point of view, to be someone that's ambitious, is eager to try new things, um, and and that's where you are now. I think. Yeah, yeah, and it's like to this day, like part of my job is pitching the artists, like Dylan, that I work with, to like bigger agencies or festivals and stuff like that. And so every day I'm telling Dylan's story and modifying it to see what hits. And so it's like I'm using all the skills I learned in journalism school, but to really tell a story that I care about. And that, I I love doing that. What do you see the ultimate goal being for you? This is almost like one of those interview questions where where do you see yourself in five years? Yeah. In a bit of a sense. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, I don't fully know. I don't really have it mapped out, but all I know is that I want to be working in and around music and being able to perform as much as I want. Um, And I don't know exactly, as that goes on, like right now I'd be happy performing like three or four or five times a week. And maybe as I get older, I'll want to do it less, but I want... I'm going to do whatever I have to do to be able to perform, to keep performing on stage. So what is your schedule looking like right now? You mentioned you'd maybe like to do three, four times a week, but what is currently where at this stage where, what's the ratio between you performing and you being here right now or, or working to get more gigs, that sort of thing? Yeah. Um, so right now I probably perform like a couple times a month. Um, Sometimes I throw my own parties. Sometimes it's shows with Dylan. Sometimes I get hired to do parties. But it, it really depends. Like, last week I was in New York performing. This week I don't have anything. But next week I'm playing, like, this corporate gig Thursday afternoon. And then I'm playing this party Thursday night. And then I'm going to play this party Saturday night. And I have another potential one on Friday. So, it like, it really depends on the week. But, um, yeah, I mean... I'd say from Monday to Thursday, sometimes Monday to Friday, like I work basically like anyone else, like eight to 12 hours a day, basically, um, between the music den and Smash Mouth. And then on top of that, performing whenever I can. So you mentioned uh, earlier the trip to New York and you and I were talking a little bit before we went uh, Mm -hmm. on the air here. and when you're in New York, you were doing a lot of meetings. Are you able to describe what those meetings were about and like how that, that sort of got arranged? Yeah, sure. So what we were trying to do, one of the main goals of New York was to get Dylan signed to a U.S. booking agent or to start that conversation um, so he can start doing some tours uh, around the States, whether it's like 
opening up for someone bigger or doing it with a couple mid-sized artists like himself. Um, and so when we, we were actually in New York to play a showcase as part of a festival called Mondo NYC, and formerly known as CMJ. Um, and so we used that opportunity to reach out to like anyone we could get, find their contact info for, whether they were media, booking agents, even a couple entertainment lawyers, and we just wanted to get either get some FaceTime with them and invite or get them out to Dylan's show. In some cases, we got both, some none, some one. Um, so basically, it was like all day we would be in either Manhattan or Brooklyn sitting in offices, putting faces to names, pitching our artists, our music, ourselves. Um, and then at night, like we would play, we played two shows. Um, just trying to get in front of as many people as possible because um, it's one of like especially in music I, but I guess this is like any industry like you're never taken seriously and then all of a sudden like you are do you know what I mean mm -hmm. like and there's like I don't know what that switch is but we're trying to flip that switch right now so I mentioned that you were involved with student politics mm -hmm. uh, and you just mentioned how you're trying to pitch people about these different ideas or pitch people about Dylan's talent, that sort of thing. Do you find that there's a lot of transferable skills between the student politics that you were doing or maybe some of your experiences with journalism into what you're doing now? Definitely. I mean, in terms of uh, creating a narrative, that's all over journalism school and like student elections and stuff like that and just being able to think on your feet um especially like during the rsu when i was on the rsu there's like you're dealing with stuff that is way out of your depth whether it's like legal issues or like massive budgets or um like crises with students that are like way more serious than you ever signed up for um and that ability that really taught me how to like really stay calm under pressure and think on my feet and come up with an answer, come up with potential solutions and stuff. And that's really done me well in this industry, especially because like a lot of the people we're meeting, whether they're agents or journalists or lawyers or whatever, they don't have a lot of time. And if you don't have your answers right there, if you can't make something up on the spot as bad as it sounds, like you're not going to get a second look. And they're going to move on to the next person type thing. Exactly. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've you've faced so far in terms of whether it be uh, moving up or growing the business or growing yourself as a DJ brand? Just in general, what are some of the challenges that you've encountered? Um, the hardest thing was probably starting out because I went to school for five years and then jumped into an industry, decided to jump into an industry that I had no network or contacts or anything in so those first few months of trying to figure out trying to study the industry and learn about it learn what it needed learn what was valued because as I said like I had so much experience in such a big network in like journalism and politics and post-secondary education and stuff like that that I kind of I didn't like throw it away but I'm not really using it right now either you know um so yeah so then I started just kind of cold calling people and being like, do you need, actually, you know what happened? So the, I did use the network a little bit. I ran into an old prof, Gavin from Ryerson. Um, and he asked me like, what are you doing? And I was like, 
trying to get into this music thing, of DJing. Because I, I had actually, I had DJed a frosh party, and then I saw him on campus. And so, yeah. Sorry, I'm all over the place, but... It's okay. And you had your shirt off and pouring a beer all over yourself <laughs> on Ryerson campus. <laughs> no, never, never, never. <laughs> Sometimes, never. Um, yeah, and so he was like, I had, he, he had a, fr- a good friend who worked at a United Talent Agency. And so very luckily, his friend agreed to sit down with me and I told him, like a little bit of what I was trying to get into and he kind of just gave me like he was like look man like everyone so many people want to work in music because like everyone loves music everyone thinks they have a personal connection to it um but it's a long grind and he's like it's going to be a long time before you are comfortable in this industry um both financially and professionally and he's like but if you are willing to like put your time in work for free and earn people's trust, then you can start to build a career. And so that was a kind of amazing pep talk. And so what I started doing was cold calling people um, and being like, hey, do you need volunteers to like work the door at your club or like work on shows or do whatever? Um, and then I called or I actually emailed this guy, Brendan, and he was, I was like, do you, need any volunteers like here's what I can do is a bit about me my experience and he was like yeah um one of his artists needed Dylan actually needed an updated press kit so what happens is when you release an album um you like when it gets sent to journalists you have a little press kit bio that gets sent to it and it's like here's who I am here's all my accomplishments here's like a little story whatever and so he was like can you try writing a new one of these and I was like sure and so I did it and he really liked it and then he sent me a few more and I did them and like I started writing press kits and got a little bit of a good reputation with him and he was like can you try writing this grant proposal for us so we can try to make a music video Um, because there's a lot of grants for artists in Ontario and Canada and we ended up getting it and so at that point he was kind of like okay do you want to like really join the team uh, as an intern? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so I interned and that meant everything from like picking up, driving out to Pickering to pick up TVs for a music video shoot that we were doing to, we went down to South by Southwest in Austin and they were doing a sound check, but you weren't allowed outside alcohol in the venue. And so I sat outside the venue with the alcohol <laughs> to keep it, make sure it all was safe. Um, but slowly but surely, like I got to know everyone on the team more. I got to know Dylan more and a couple of the other artists. And now I, yeah, basically work there full time. Um, I own a bit of the company and it's, it's been amazing. I just, know where I'd rather be right now you mentioned in there about the the financial part of things you essentially um turned down the opportunity to have a solid government job where you'd earn I don't know however much it would have been yeah yeah um and I I the thing that I'm finding is a lot of people whenever they come at a university uh, and millennials in general they want to you know rise at the top fast and get as much money as possible was that decision for you to maybe forego the financial rewards for the time being, was that a difficult one to make for you? Definitely. It's still tough, honestly. 
like, I see my friends making, like, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, some of them. Um, yeah, and it's t- I, I see people buying houses, um, shit like that, and it's like, okay, I still live with my parents. <laughs> um, you know, but... And and that that gets me down sometimes. But then I'll talk to some of them, and they'll be like, like my one friend making I don't know how much. Let's say he makes sixty k. I would say roughly. And I'm like, man, I wish I had sixty k. And he was like, are you kidding? I wish I was doing what you were doing. It's like this job isn't worth it. Like he goes in and he hates it every day. He gets a nice paycheck, but he hates it every day. And that's kind of eye opening. And it's just like, okay, yeah, like. I don't know. At some point, money will become a factor, but right now I'm trying to ignore it and just push on. Because if we end up making a lot of money with Smash Mouth, that'll be amazing. If it ends up going nowhere in five or six years when I'm, like, 30 and maybe need to think about having a family and stuff, then it'll be a different story. But I don't want to not try it and regret it for the rest of my life. For sure. Yeah. Uh, another venture that you were involved with is Venture for Canada. Um, mm-hmm. This is something that my ex-roommate Josh McIntyre <laughs> who has been also mentioned on this podcast before oh yeah um, wow. although refuses to be a guest <laughs> I'm just kidding he's busy uh, but he had helped busy. you get involved with Venture for Canada yeah did. what did that all entail and and maybe what were uh, one of, what was one of the biggest takeaways that you got from that experience well you first pointed me to Josh so you got me involved with Venture for well, Canada I'll take a little bit of Spash <laughs> Mouth's produ- production dollars then <laughs> yeah definitely when we have something to give you. <laughs> okay, so Venture for Canada is a nonprofit that helps um, train recent graduates who are interested in working at startups and then helps can help place them into positions at like top startups across Canada. Um, and so I decided to apply because this was back when I didn't really know what I was going to do. Um, and then actually, so the interviews were about a year ago and I was like getting pretty heavy into the music thing and I actually wasn't even gonna go I was like man who I don't want to be around all these startup douches and like talking about their ROI and their MRR and their ping pong tables and I was like fuck that (laughs) but then but then um I don't know I'm sure someone told me to stop being such an idiot and go and I was like okay I'm gonna go and I'm gonna try it and we did these day long, this day long interview process, and it was like, holy shit! I'm sorry, I'm swearing a lot, but that's okay. It was like, holy, we we got a bleep machine. <laughs> it was like, holy bleep, um, this is really tough. And I met some really douchey people, and I met some really cool people, and I ended up getting selected. And I was like, okay, let's see what this is like. And so part of Venture Canada is what you do is you go to Queens university for a month and they run you through this kind of boot camp and I was like okay what kind of people are going to be here and luckily everyone I met there was amazing super cool um and they really I guess they really recruit based on whatever values they're looking for which which was awesome um and yeah they ran us through this month-long boot camp that was everything from like finance to project management to introductory code to vcs to um i don't know like so much stuff and it was it was incredible learning um 
in terms of my learning i like it's hard to pick one thing that you take away um you obviously didn't come out of it with a job because you already sort of had the smash mouth thing right but uh, i guess there was some stuff that you did learn from it Definitely. I've, I've become a better professional because of it. Um, but the bigger thing I think is the network you get. And so I was in a residence and in a classroom for a month with like top graduates from all over Canada, basically. And so now I have friends working at top startups, like in Ontario, out East, out wherever you want to go. Um, which is amazing. And like that community, we still have, obviously we keep in touch and stuff and there's always people posting online being like, I'm having this issue at work. Has anyone ever dealt with it? Or does anyone have a tool to do this? And then like people are responding and it's like, there's so much value in that, which is incredible. And I think what well, I wouldn't say everyone, but I feel like a lot of people that go through that program have this moment of like, Holy shit, how did I get in here? All these people are like top, but it's, it's amazing. I would encourage anyone who's interested in entrepreneurship to apply to it. Contact Cormac McGee for more details. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, Cormac, yeah. uh, I'd like to get a general sense of whenever people join this podcast mm-hmm. as to what they think uh, the perception of millennials are. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that uh, because you've talked to a lot of students. You were in, in their shoes not too long ago as well. How do you think millennials are are perceived? How do I think they're perceived? Well, I think it depends who you talk to. Um, I think anyone who has any concept of context or nuance will understand that millennials are probably not that different than any other generation before. We're all trying to make our own way in a changing world. Um, And I think that's the same whether you're talking to someone who's 15 or 25 or 50 or 80 I don't know something I think about which is probably kind of random but like our generation has doesn't have like a defining war do you know what I mean and so like if we were alive in the 30s or 40s if we were this age like we would have gone to world war ii before that we would have gone to world war one maybe to Vietnam or something like that and like those are really like generational defining things And we don't have anything like that. As of this podcast being uh, recorded, the the United States has not nuked North Korea Mm -hmm. yet. But I think that's interesting because it's like we're a generation where, like, standing up for your country has taken on a whole new meaning. And I think it's been, it's all, that's, that's a very nuanced thing and there's always good and bad to it. But I think it's, it's interesting where like you and me and our friends didn't sign up, didn't have to sign up for the military when we were however old and we're kind of carving our lanes here. I don't know. Now I'm starting to ramble, but that's no, but you're essentially trying to say from what I can gather is that millennials, there may be some perception that they're, they're lazy per se, but there hasn't been a defining moment for our generation just yet as to how in 50 years they'll be classified by. Yeah. Wow. That was very good. That's why you're, that's why you're a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. But that's, that's sort of what I understood from your, your yeah. 
Definitely. Your explanation. That's definitely a very uh, concise way of putting it. I think the whole, like, millennial lazy thing is... I think it's more played up than it actually is. It's, like, it's good clickbait. Makes people money to try and spin those narratives. Um, But the other thing is, like, we're, we're, the millennial generation is at the point now where, like, we're no longer the youngest one, right? Like, technically millennials go into their 30s now. And so, like, they're making, we're making a lot of big changes. That was Cormac McGee. He works for Smash Mouth Entertainment and is a DJ based in Toronto. We'll post a link to where you can find both his and Dylan's work on our social media pages and website. That does it for episode four of our show. If you know of someone that might have an interesting and intriguing story to tell, or a trend that should be discussed, tell me about it. I can be found on Twitter or Facebook at Ryan B. McKenna. That's all one word, at Ryan B. McKenna. Special thanks this week to 18 Media and Entertainment, which provided editing help for this episode. Alicia Sani is an editor on the show. Music this week is provided by Bray Skierman. This was the Under the Hill podcast with Brian McKenna. Thanks for listening, and so long now.